0: Vladimir Putin, the Illuminati, and LARPing, all on today's episode of the Booterverse. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 38 of the Booterverse. Live action role-playing expert William T. Thrasher is going to be joining us, Judy Scheinbaum answers his questions, and of course we have a Booter thought for you, all on today's episode of the Booterverse. Hey everybody, it's Marcia Houlihan here for String Cheese. String Cheese, that's right, here in Mishawaka, Wisconsin, sometimes as an after-dinner treat, I like to tie my husband up with String Cheese. And now for news, in my orbit. Fear not, Dry California. Captain Kirk has the con. William Shatner is planning on launching a $30 billion Kickstarter that would fund construction of a pipeline designed to carry water from another world. The Star Trek actor sat down with Yahoo News for an exclusive interview in which he set forth his ideas. It's a huge distance, but it can be done, Shatner said. Look at what they did in Alaska. That's a big place. When asked if the water would be drinkable, Shatner was confident. Look, water is water. It's like the water they have everywhere else. They just have too much of it up there, and we don't have enough. It's a no-brainer. But aren't there far simpler ways of solving the problem? What, Shatner quipped. Stop fracking. Stop showering. Stop having pancakes. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But Yahoo wondered, is it crazier than a pipeline in space? How exactly would it be built? a Romulan labor force? Would they be allowed to unionize? I don't know what you're talking about, Shatner said. You realize Romulans aren't real, right? When I said an alien world, I was talking about Seattle. Have you ever been to a coffee house up there? And do you know how much rain they get? Problem solved. But the idea of anyone, even a starship captain, diverting their runoff makes Seattleites angrier than a Vulcan in Ponfar. And who knows if $30 billion would be anywhere close to enough to build a proposed pipeline. But even if the project ultimately fails, Shatner hopes he can simply raise awareness about California's water struggle. And that's a hope every water-starved left coaster can cling on to. In other news, from the Boy Scouts to the Southern Baptist Convention, times are hard and membership is down in many of the world's great organizations. And apparently, the Illuminati are not immune. The difference is, they aren't content to lapse into obscurity. Some groups may not have known the reason for their decline in numbers, but the Illuminati are fairly certain. It's Kanye West. The rapper is, frequently alleged by conspiracy theorists, to be a member of the powerful secret society. But now they are breaking centuries of silence to say it ain't so. West has denied it, the Illuminati say, and people should listen. So adamant are they to distance themselves from the controversial recording artist that they are planning a recruitment drive and awareness party in New York next month to be called No West, young man. They want to be sure, however, to make it known they are not anti-hip-hop and that actually flashing hippity-hoppity hand signs is one way to signal your credibility. It shows, one insider said, that you get the whole symbolic thing. We're afraid all those people have been going to the Freemasons. But we're just as cool and you don't have to wear a tree skirt around your waist. Unless you want to. We don't judge. Hoping to relive the glory days of the Illuminati, organizers say they want to party like it's 1799, and they encourage as much bling as possible. Gone are the days of flying under the radar, they say. It just isn't what people want anymore. If they're in a group that exclusive, they want everybody to know about it. So throw up your diamonds and come pledge the newest frat on the block. There will be a DJ and some kegs, A tip the Illuminati say they got from Skull and Bones. For more information, contact the Split Pig Bar on the Lower East Side. Moving on to international news, what do you do when you're Vladimir Putin and your relations with the U.S. are in the crapper? You take a page from the American Political Playbook and tap Hollywood. That's what the Russian president hopes to do with his proposal to make actor Steven Seagal the Kremlin's official man in the U.S., Putin, a martial arts buff himself, has long been a fan of the action hero and has drafted a proposal that be made official consul of California and Arizona. The White House reacted with predictable dismissiveness, but here at the Booterverse we have gotten an exclusive copy and we think it's fairly compelling. It reads as follows. In a time when our relations are under siege and cooperation seems out of reach, it's time for my giant to come in and make an executive decision. The Patriot is far from being above the law. He is a good man, but if given a machete, he can be a dangerous man, an attack force who is out for justice. He has the fire down below, he will prove that U.S.-Russian goodwill is hard to kill, and he will lead our two superpowers into the sun. It may seem out of reach, but I have the maximum conviction that this is the way forward. Therefore, I have made this executive decision to recommend Mr. Seagal for the position of consul. Apparently, the Obama administration reacted with predictable dismissiveness, saying, you have got to be kidding. That's not a real proposal. Those are just titles of Seagull's movies. But Putin apparently thinks he's onto something. There are rumors now that he plans to tap Jackie Chan as an adjunct security advisor and has been shut up in his office for days with nothing but Kung Fu noodles and IMDB as he prepares to make his case. Time will tell if Putin can thaw relations between the Kremlin and the White House or whether the situation will remain more than a little half-past dead. And that's been news in my orbit. Buddha. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Charcoal. Charcoal. Nothing will set your man's heart on fire like a black briquette of charcoal. Buddha. It's now that time in the show where Judy Scheinbaum answers our guests' questions in a segment we like to call The Last Lung with Judy. Judy, you're on the Booterverse. Oh,
1: Emery, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much. Will Thrasher, you ponytailed son of a gun, you ask away.
2: All right, so I've got a pet question for you. We've got three cats. Well, we recently got them one of those fountain water bowls where, you know, you plug it in the wall. Yes, it's running water. Oh, yes, running water. Uh, So there's this little, like, porcelain ceramic dome thing on top that the water uh, trickles down from. Uh, The problem is our middle cat, Loki... Uh, he interferes with that, as uh, a Loki would do. Uh, absolutely, and whether whether it's whether there's lots of water in it, whether there's little water in it, he will, for some reason, get up on the counter where we keep it and will just nudge it until he's flipped that thing over. Uh, and that thing really channels the water. So with that with that gone, the waters it just turns into a full water spout. It's very loud. It's very messy, and nothing we do will stop him from doing it.
1: So you would like some advice as to how to keep little Loki out of your water fountain? Well, seriously, first of all, your first problem was getting the Frank Lloyd Wright falling water of cat uh, watering devices. Seriously, I don't know how much you put out for that, but it would make uh, one of the New York call girls blush, I'll tell you this. Now, but keeping little Loki out of there, what you need to do is keep a little catnip in another room, get the cat high, and that way he won't bug the water so the other two cats can, you know, enjoy the the lovely water and the sound and all the things. But seriously, I know you love your cats. It's wonderful that you would do that. But, you know, if you ask me, just get him a bowl of water and hope for the best.
2: Well, we we did have a bowl of water uh, originally, but then we had another cat who would drop food into... if, there was, if there was Well, that's still just water, messy. Just Did you not teach her it?
1: manners? You know, I mean, they have cat mannering courses well, where he, you put them at tables and they learn to use all the forks and the knives. Including the salad fork? Of course, because, you know, seriously, some cats, even though they're carnivores, sometimes they like a little roughage.
2: Oh, that's cool. I had no idea there were cat-sized salad forks.
1: Sweetie, listen, for a pussy there or anything.
2: <laughs> I, I, you're, you're showing me what you mean right now. Actually, oh, is
1: it, was that, was that being too obvious?
2: Maybe, but I, I'm still flattered.
1: Mm. Oh well, you should be. So what's next? What do you have?
2: All right, well, shif- shifting away from, shifting away from cat problems, uh, I'm having car problems now. So I've got a Pontiac Sunfire that I've had for ten years, uh, and it's fallen apart, but it hasn't fallen apart enough that I want to sell it. Uh, especially since you know I'd still have to come up with the rest of the money for a new car. But I'm trying, I'm trying to extend its life, even though every month some new little thing fails. I've got a back door that won't shut, so I've had to jury rig it so it stays closed. Uh, the thing that turns off the lights automatically in uh, in the car, whatever that is, I don't know if it's a microchip or, or just like a widget. That stopped working, so I have to make manually make sure anything in the car that lights up is turned off so the battery doesn't get drained. How do I extend the life of this car for at least another year?
1: Oh, that's a great question, sweetie, and I'm no auto mechanic, but I will tell you this. Lesson number one, make sure your back door is always closed. You do not want that open to anybody or anything, you know what I mean? Now... Second of all, the longevity of the car. Do you talk to your car? Do you, like, give it words of wisdom and advice? Do I, you sing to it?
2: I, I, I sing in it. I don't talk to it, but I do give it, like, reassuring pats.
1: Listen, it could be like Kit from the Knight Rider series. You know, it can talk, you know, just, but internalize that. Listen, you do some role-playing things, you'll be able to internalize.
2: So, so, so I, you want me to just sort of, like, imagine in my head, you know, oh, Michael, there's danger ahead. You should take the alternate route.
1: Absolutely. It would be like, yes. Do that. Now, do you have an auto mechanic friend? I, I
2: don't have an auto mechanic friend. I do, however, have one that I trust.
1: Get one. Get an auto mechanic friend. It'll save your car. It'll save your life. It'll save your marriage. It'll save your cats. It'll save everything. Where where,
2: where do I find one? Are there, like, mechanic bars? or? Uh...
1: Sweetie, after the show, I'll give you a number. You can call. I've got some guys guys. Sure, they're a couple states away from where you probably are, but, you know, they'll be able to take care of you. Oh, fantastic. It's true. But, you know, let's keep that on the DL, as they say.
2: Well, we we certainly can. It, mm. it, 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 to the best of my knowledge, everything we're saying is confidential.
1: Absolutely right. You know, I don't know who, who listens to this thing. I think he said they have like a dozen listeners or something. I don't even know. I mean, th- to me, saying he has a dozen listeners would be a bit of a stretch. But, you know, I humor him. <laughs> so it's now time. I think we only have time for one more question. What's it going to be?
2: Alright, so, uh, in addition to the the LARP stuff, I also do uh, podcasting. I'm the host and producer of the D-Infinity Live webcast at uh, www.d-infinity.net, but I used to be the co-host of the sequel cast, where we watched movies in a franchise one movie at a time. Uh, I say used to be because we recently recorded our final episode, That Podcast is Done, but I love talking about movies with people. I want to do my own solo movie podcast. So going going from like co-host to host, do you have any, any advice on podcasting?
1: Oh, sweetie, I've got a lot of advice. First of all, you have to have a personality, which, you know, I mean, we could work with you on that. Second of all, what I want you to know is people love movies. The cinema is amazing. So you've got a great topic. People will love that. Now, flying solo, it might be something you do all the time. I don't know. But I will say this. You know, approach the mic like you would approach me or any other woman, you, you you have to to caress it, be happy with it, love it, and it will show you love back, and people will sense that.
2: Well, that's good. Well, the nice thing is I'll be using the same mic I used to use in the sequel cast, so it's already a mic that I've got an established relationship with.
1: Wow, that's so good. I mean, that's very important because you don't just want to go you know willy nilly with some mic you've never met. I what? mean, I did that once and it was n- <laughs> no good.
2: No, actually, uh, back when I was a Borsh Belt comedian, willy nilly was my stage name.
1: Listen, sweetie, I, I, I know a few willy-nullies, and let me tell you what, they never call back. <laughs> well, that's been it for the last lung with Judy. I love you all. Mwah.
0: And we'll be right back, right after this. <laughs> Glenn McDougal here for Fuzzy Dice. That's right, Fuzzy Dice. They're like the things
1: I've got hanging under my kilt.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Booterverse. I am sitting here with Will Thrasher, self-proclaimed geek. Will, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing very well today.
0: That is so good. Now, being a self-proclaimed geek, what does that entail?
2: Well, I guess I'm a self-proclaimed professional geek. Uh, I've been scrambling as much as I can to turn every hobby I have into something approaching a career.
0: I love that. How's that going for you?
2: Well, uh, it, it fills up a lot of my day. It doesn't fill up my bank account yet, but it's still tremendous fun.
0: Mm, but they say do what you love, and then you'll love what you do. Yep. Mm.
2: I, can, I can second that. I can agree with that.
0: Words of wisdom from somebody.
2: I think Confucius has a version of that.
0: Yes. I always remember Confucius being very keen on the fact that if you go to bed with an itchy butt, you're going to wake up with a stinky finger. <laughs> That's right. Confucius was a man for all seasons. Good. Lots of, lots of nice short and dirty proverbs. Short and dirty. That's what I think of when I think of Confucius, just short and dirty. Speaking of short and dirty, you, sir, are a LARPer, is that correct?
2: Uh, yes, I, uh, I I don't get to play nearly as much as I would like to, but I organize and run uh, live-action role-playing games all over the country.
0: Now, what got you started in this?
2: Well, ever ever since high school, because uh, I've been into tabletop role-playing games and war games for, for a few years, and I had heard about live action role playing, and I felt like it was something that I should enjoy. But any time I would actually participate in a LARP, uh, this and this is both you know in the, my final year of high school and my first year of college, I just didn't have a good time, and I I felt like I should be enjoying it. All the right elements were there, but it was just it was just felt very boring and tedious. Uh, But what kind of got me into it seriously and made me realize what I did like about it uh, was uh, I've always been a huge fan of the Cthulhu mythos Uh, and I was uh, on an off-campus trip uh, to New York uh, and went to The Complete Strategist, which is this awesome little game shop uh, on Manhattan Island that has just a phenomenal number of games just going back like all the way to the 70s. Uh, And they had a copy of Cthulhu Live, which was Uh, at the time, uh, the official licensed live action version of Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu game. Uh, And I picked it up and it it kind of made me realize what had been missing in all of those LARPs where I didn't have a good time, and that was a structure. Uh, and so, taking taking that rulebook, uh, that Halloween, we had always made a point of trying to do a uh, a big Halloween LARP at the Scad Gamers Guild. So that Halloween, we did a Cthulhu live LARP, and it was the most fun uh, I had ever had at a LARP, the most fun a lot of the players had ever had. Uh, and it, it it made me realize, it's kind of, for lack of a better term, how LARP should be done. And then, what kind of got me on the path to being a professional in that area is that. When I graduated, I had uh, gone to we'd, we'd run several Cthulhu live games. Since then, I went to Gen Con, uh, and the the creators and publishers of the game were going to be there running it, uh, and I paid to get into that game. Uh, and it was a, it was a really fun game. It was all about uh, uh, rednecks fighting over uh, material from a crashed UFO, and there were men in black, and there were like, other agents there. It was really fun. Uh, and then after the game, I was just chatting to uh, Robert McLaughlin, the guy who uh, the guy who created the game and his publisher. Michael Varhola, and showing them photos from our games and uh, whatnot, and and they really liked it. And two months later, I got a call from them saying that they were developing a third edition of the game, and since I clearly knew what I was doing, would I like to help out? And that was like the first actual thing in the gaming industry that I'd ever did.
0: I feel like rednecks and UFOs should be married together more often, don't you think?
2: Very, very true. And, you know, whether, you know, maybe the state allows that maybe they can do a civil ceremony a hand fasting but a a true marriage between rednecks and ufos it would be wonderful would be it's a logical next step
0: yeah no i mean i just would like maybe the rednecks would sort of be uh sort of the hood ornament of the ufo (laughs) uh basically saying to the universe listen this is like my 1975 caddy leave it alone You know, as long as they don't put their UFO on blocks and park it in, well, maybe New Jersey, I think we'll be okay.
2: Well, it's like that that, uh, Far Side cartoon by Gary Larson where there's uh, the deer carcass tied on top of a pickup truck, and the pickup truck is tied on top of a flying saucer.
0: Absolutely, and I think that needs to happen more often. (laughs) Yeah. Not only in illustration and print, but in reality. Oh, indeed. I mean, uh, aliens, if you're listening, think about it. It will set you apart for sure. In the Galactic Empire that I'm sure exists. Now, let me ask you a question. You're a co-author and illustrator of 100 Oddities, and that series. What What are these oddities?
2: Well, the way the way it started is uh, Clint Staples, uh, one of the other co-authors, uh, uh, last year, the year before last, uh, there was uh, that big big news when uh, people renovating uh, an old old building in France. Discovered that there was a whole wing of the building that had been sealed off with all of the furniture and accoutrements inside. Yes, I and saw that. There was that that awesome that awesome picture of that like uh, like terrarium with like the two taxidermied frogs inside. that were like sword fighting, and Clint Staples thought that was really cool. And uh, he posted on our uh, our website d-infinity.net. He'd posted a blog entry called "Oddities for a Creepy Old House," uh, and he just like it was. Uh, 20 different things half of them were actual things found in that house in France and the other half were things that he just uh, made up and I love horror games so I uh, I posted some of my own uh, Michael Varjola posted some of his own and in less than a week just playing off of each other we had over a hundred items and we thought well as long as we have a hundred pieces of material here let's Put, turn that into a table you can roll the d100 on and you get a weird anomalous item and it just kind of grew from there and we made up a list of interesting environments uh tabletop role-playing games happened to take place in uh and just started uh regularly having these brainstorming sessions trying to come up with how many weird things you could find in that environment
1: i love that
0: rising to the challenge you sir don't seem like you bat an eye at a challenge no i i love it i absolutely love it what is the most challenging larp that you've ever had to make
2: well, the I suppose if if I'm you know look looking back uh, at 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 anything uh, we've we've done the whole the whole reason the challenges really got started is that uh, our our uh, first year running Larps independently at the origins game fair uh, in Ohio, uh, we were at a a bar afterwards with most of our players, and vodka was moving around very quickly. no, and I heard there were i was I was having a conversation. But there were two other conversations happening between our players at tables behind me, and somebody used the word monkey, and somebody used the word puppet, and I just stood up and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, next year we will have a game with monkeys and puppets. And that's what started started the challenge. So, you know, we always ask people, you know, well, what can we do? Uh, what crazy thing do you want us to do? Uh, and I think the the outright craziest is that we were challenged to come up with a LARP based on uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, And that was so fun. Were you able to make a flying car? Uh, Actually, there were multiple flying cars. Uh, We decided, we, we kind of turned it into a mashup. We took Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and we combined it with the Cthulhu Mythos and a couple of other things involving flying cars. Uh, and so, yes, there was, you know, the flying car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was a car, but so was the flying car from The Absent-Minded Professor, but so was the flying car from Back to the Future.
0: Oh, I see what you did there. Oh,
2: yeah, it was it was fantastic. So we had characters kind of, most of the characters were Chitty Chitty Bang Bang characters, but then we pulled in other characters from some other, like, franchises and literary universes. Uh, and and all wove them into this one ridiculously madcap story.
0: I love it. Will, if you were putting me into one of your LARPs, where would I be and why? I think what I, the
2: character that I would like you to play, uh, we do uh, one of our signature things is we always do, uh, every convention, we always do a LARP based on uh, Fading Suns, which is this phenomenal space opera uh, RPG setting. Uh, and there's a character that we've brought back on several occasions uh, Nikolai Mm. and Nikolai, he is the penniless third son of a baron who owns his own planet, but because, and, and he would inherit that planet if the right people would die but he's too busy partying and mooching off his rich friends to actually bother killing off the proper relations to inherit this fiefdom, and he figures running it would be too much work anyway, so uh his goals His goals are always related to mooching off his friends, having a good time, uh, seducing widows, and trying to get his erotic novella published.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right, Will. That sounds about right. Awesome. Now, at this point in the show, we give you the opportunity to address our listeners, the Buddhaverse out there. Uh, share anything you want. Tell them anything that you would like. Wits, wisdom, whatever.
2: Well... So, something that uh as as strangely enough is as, as much you know larping as I've been involved with over the past 10 years I only recently kind of got into to improvisational comedy and improvisational theater and actually sort of studied the mechanics of that just to see where the where the similarities lined up between what we were doing with larp and what people like the upright citizens brigade would will actually do on the stage or in the comedy podcast uh and the one thing I can't uh, impress enough, and this applies to LARPs especially, but also tabletop role-playing, is just the principle of, of yes and. Don't throw up a wall. Uh, whatever you do, make decisions and make statements that keep the game moving forward.
0: What if you're a bricklayer?
2: If you're a bricklayer, it can still work because, you know, are you going to lay some bricks? Yes, and they will look quite good.
0: Oh, you're talking about a different kind of wall. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, oh. Like,
2: like any kind of... Uh, Throwing up any kind of uh, wall or interaction that mm-hmm. essentially blocks the flow uh, of events. Uh, so, you know, if uh, if if so- if somebody if somebody you know comes in, uh, you know, kind of barges into your scene and, and says, you know, I'm looking for the duke. Uh, where is don't he don't say yeah you might yeah th- right out you know throwing out well well why do you expect to find him here oh. you know don't don't throw up don't say you know he's not here and leave it at that find a way to take the fact that you know this person's looking for the duke and turn that into something uh, you know so if your character is a swindler you know right off the bat you should say oh i can take it to the duke but it'll cost you whether you or not you know where where it is i do know where you the know. duke is I know or where he is. maybe you are the Duke and you don't want to be found, so don't just say he's not here. Try to point him in a different direction. Say, oh, oh, the, the Duke, I hear he's a master of disguise. He's wearing a red hat. That guy is going to go, If it provided that guy is also yes-anding, he's going to go off looking for the person in the red hat. What if the red hat
0: person doesn't exist?
2: That can be very fun. We've actually toyed around with that. Isn't uh,
0: it called lying?
2: Yes, but you kind of have to lie. Uh if you know, oh, I like it. If you go to a play, you know all the people on stage are, are lying. The what? person who's the person who's hit Hamlet is lying to you, the audience, about how much of a Hamlet he is. What? Uh, I've been lied to all this time. So, like in, in a LARP, you want to lie artfully and lie skillfully to keep things going. And we've done that. Uh, we we very often do. We we call we call them "fuck you" LARPs. Oh no, where where essentially we are lying to everybody about every aspect of the game. Uh, and the, the first big fuck you LARP we did was called High Noon at Terra Firma. And what we told everybody is it's a, it's a, comical, uh, it's a comical but otherwise kind of movie-inspired Western LARP. You're going to be playing Western characters, the, the crooked mayor, the school marm, the plow hand, the sharpshooter. Uh, and that's what we told everyone. We swore up and down. That's what the game was. However, that was a lie because everybody got everybody got characters like you know oh you're a time traveler and you were trying to show your time traveling assistant what the future was going to be like but something was wrong with your time machine and you've ended up in the old west or you got a character sheet saying you're not really a wild west gunfighter you're the captain of a starship in the future who's teaching an alien about earth history by taking them into a holographic simulation of the old west and we had all these different meta layers of deception there was, there was a single truth behind all of it, but the short of it is the game took place 300 years in the future in a virtual reality simulation of the Old West, but most of the characters didn't know that because most of the characters were
0: actually simulations of people. Well, there you have it. Yeah. So, as a final thought, would you say that most LARPing is just extensive lying? To to an
2: extent, but it's playful lying, and you know, everybody everybody should be in on the lie. You know, it's 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 you know, you're you're telling you're telling fun little fibs and trying to one-up
0: each other within the context of the game. Well, that's lovely. Well, Will Thrasher, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. We will be right back right after this. Buddha. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Croutons croutons. If I wanted something small and crunchy in my salad, I would have just called the Beatles. And now, for Booter Thoughts. I don't know about you, but every time I hear the word throw pillow, I want to throw up. Why does it have this name? Oh, a throw pillow. I'm gonna throw it here, I'm gonna throw it there. Why don't you keep your pillows stationary? Do you think the pillow likes it when you just throw it hither and yon? No, absolutely not. And why are we in any way advocating that violence is acceptable through pillows. Oh, sure, you can hit your brother with a pillow, and it's okay. Well, next thing you know, he's gonna be hit over the head with a glass vase, and it's all okay, because why? Throw pillows. Now, I understand that women like the decorative nature of throw pillows, but seriously, isn't fashion a high price to pay for violence? I think so. We have to admit and understand that a throw pillow is doing nothing but encouraging the youth of today to join gangs, fight in schools, and become interior decorators. And by God, do we need any more of those? I think not. So save the world from violence and a bad armoire by keeping kids away from throw pillows. And that's been it for today's Booter Thought. Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to thank Will Thrasher for being on the show. We'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Of course, we'd like to thank Courtney and Sonny who help on the production side, and to Quadrants who composed our theme song. If you haven't had enough of me here, I'm also everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle The Booter. And of course, we're also on Pinterest because, you know, men should be on Pinterest. Buddha. I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but The Booterverse is only a click away.